Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. All right, life on a mission. Luke chapter 6. Jesus says this, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Jesus makes the claim elsewhere in the gospel that, that the goal of training his disciples was to become like him. Not just to gather the right information or to agree with the things he says, but really a form of apprenticeship to become like their teacher. And in that way, to experience their, his relationship with God themselves. To be one with God as they are one with Jesus. And that through this process, they would pull the kingdom of heaven a little closer to earth. Jesus' first messages would be, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom has come near. He would send his disciples out to report this to other places. Hey, the kingdom has come near. The kingdom of heaven has been brought a little closer to earth in Jesus. But the mode of accomplishing that wouldn't come through, again, just information. It would come through the results of training to be like Jesus, to become like Jesus their teacher. And so in all that we talk about from the the teachings of Jesus, we really have to ask more than just, do I agree with Jesus? Because we can all agree with Jesus, or hopefully we might agree with Jesus. The question we really have to ask is, will I train to become like Jesus in this area? In the area of humility, or in the area of integrity, or of service, or of worship, or of devotion to God, or in the area of the mission. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks shipwrecks often occurred, there was once a crude little lifeboat station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but a few devoted members kept constant watch over the sea, and with no thought of themselves, sacrificially went out day or night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who had been saved and others in the area wanted to become associated with this station and to give their time and money and effort for the support of this work. A new, smarter boat was developed and new crews were trained. The little lifeboat station grew. Some members of the lifeboat station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They, they felt that they needed a more comfortable space to provide those who were coming in as refugees from the sea. They replaced the emergency hammocks with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the lifeboat station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they decorated and furnished it beautifully. They used it as a sort of club. Few members, fewer members were now interested in going out on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews. 
And they even put in their club room a, a lifeboat model where they had their official club meetings. Life-saving pictures and mementos still decorated the walls. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. And the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick and came from different countries. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the shipwreck victims could be cleaned up before they came inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the membership wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life of the club. A few members insisted that life-saving was still their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a lifeboat station after all. But they were outvoted and told that if they wanted to save lives of all types of people who might be shipwrecked, they could go build their own lifeboat station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, similar changes took place in the new station as well. It slowly became a club, and yet another lifeboat station was founded. And history continued to repeat itself, and on that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the coastline. Shipwrecks are still frequent there in those waters, but most people drown. I don't have to rattle off to you all the, the statistics to prove to you that the people outside these walls, those that are, are working through the regrets of just last night's decisions and working up the muster to just kind of the willpower to, to put on a face and go for a jog or still meet their friends for brunch or, or maybe get to work on that project a little early before Monday starts or dive into the video games or whatever to numb out the pain of their lives that they are drowning. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, the strangers that you pass, those people are drowning under the secular waves of life with no moral center, under the crushing anxiety that comes with no constraints and no compass for how to live. The disorder of their desires, the unhindered materialism, they are drowning. And they're grasping for air. Are we still manning the ships? Are we still manning the ships of this gospel message? To bring the good news to the lost world around us as our teacher called us to do. Are we aiming instead for a more comfortable, a more convenient faith that, that maximizes our preferences of worship and teaching and space and minimizes our discomforts. Which do you think is more in line with the training of the way of Jesus? Jesus himself would give his mission statement in many ways throughout the gospel. It was never ambiguous. Here's an example. For instance, Luke 19, this is what he has to say about himself. The Son of Man came to what? Seek and save the lost. 
And to those who would consider taking up his mission and and becoming like him in worldview and in behavior, he would hold no punches at the cost it would take. Again, in Luke chapter 9, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another, I will follow you, Lord, but first. Let me just go back and say goodbye. You kind of get the idea that he was watching the first two and he was like, well, maybe he'll be good with just a goodbye. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You see, in the kingdom of God, as Jesus defines it, in becoming like him, in training in his view of humanity, in bringing the kingdom of heaven a little closer to earth, The kingdom is a life of service, a life oriented towards others in love. Christians, as Jesus would define them, would be those who give up comfort, who give up the things that ordinary life has to offer, and who proclaim this good news of a loving gracious, sacrificial, redeeming Father who's come to save and to restore and to renew and to heal and to transform humanity through Jesus. To preach the will of God. And what is the will of God? Jesus already told us to seek and to save the lost. What is the end goal of your spiritual formation? Is it just to make it to heaven someday? Like, I just want to hold on, not curse too much, make sure I, you know, do pretty good morally and make it into heaven. Is that the end goal of your faith? You're fasting, you're praying, you're worshiping, you're studying, you're Sabbath keeping, you're fellowship on Sundays, you're taking communion. Is it to become a person who just makes it to heaven someday? I can tell you that if you're following your teacher, the spiritual formation that he has in mind for you, the outcome of your apprenticeship is to become one who loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And from that, born of that truth, of that inward authenticity, you give away what you do have, which is love for your neighbor as yourself. Are you with me right there? to be formed into those who seek the good of their neighbor, to be formed into those who love the lost with grace and compassion and invitation as God loved them. What does this mean to seek and save the lost? Well, I would argue that there are two commissions that we have as followers of Jesus, but they have one purpose, um, and they are all pointed outwards. They're found in chapters 25 and 28 of the Gospel of Matthew, but they're the same end. The two commissions Two commissions with one purpose. Let's start in Matthew 25. All right, verse 31. We're going to read a lot, but just stick with me, okay? Matthew 25, verse 31, it says, When 
The Son of Man comes, this is Jesus speaking, in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit on his throne in the heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, for I Never knew you, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. You guys doing okay? You're like, you're coming in a little hot here, Elias. It's a little hot. <laughs> Jesus is answering the question of who will go with him when he returns. This is a salvation teaching, in fact. And he commissions those who would follow him, those who would want to go with him into his heavenly kingdom in eternity to see the needy, the hungry, the poor, the imprisoned, the oppressed, to see them as Jesus himself. When you look at the poor and the needy, to see Jesus in their eyes and to serve them as such. It's not a suggestion in his kingdom. It's a command. It's a way of living the way of Jesus. To bring a biblical justice to the humanity of the world. To bring the peace of God to those who don't know his peace. I was uh, in some meetings this week and I got to hear from a guy named Ben Barnett who is the CEO of Hope Worldwide. Some of you guys might know him. But he had this to say about compassion. He says, compassion is not a thought experiment. It's an experience that matters. Meaning compassion is not just, oh, I feel really bad. You're right, Jesus. I agree with you. The poor need more help. The hungry need to be fed. The lonely need to be taken care of. I agree with you. He says, no, no, no. Compassion is going and experiencing it with someone. Romans 12, 2 says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. As you repent, as you see things Jesus' way, as you transform your mind, that you're doing it in an integrated way, just agreeing, not just making a mental ascension, 
but serving with your body, reaching out and giving humanity through touch to those who have been made to feel less human. I've sat with people in underdeveloped countries, many of you have, uh, several times over the years. I've walked neighborhoods that are just, that are built kind of out of trash heaps. So the major city metropolitan areas, places like Guatemala City, um, Manila, just huge, massive trash heaps that just kind of taper off into towns and houses. And people live there for their sustenance. They, they look for recycled goods or food or materials to help build their houses. Kids are everywhere. Dead animals, buzzards, it smells awful. And I've, I've sat with them and I've, I've played with the kids and I've held hands and I've served and, and and I can be driving somewhere and just get the smell of sewage, you know, from like a, a, a runoff or something. And, and immediately I'm brought back because I know what it smells like. Because I've experienced with them. That's very different than just agreeing with Jesus that this needs to happen. And when I think of the international community, I, I often think of that level of the community. billion people, a third of the earth, live on less than $2 a day. 2.6 billion people. And Jesus calls us to a mission of seeing them and to see him in them. But how about in your own city? We have no shortage of those in trouble. Just drive around a little bit. You'll pick it up quick. Or just jump on the city bus. Spend an afternoon riding around. You'll experience it. We have no shortage of trouble. But if I'm honest, I think in many ways it's harder to have compassion on my own people, in my own country, in my own city, than it is to have compassion on those around the world. Can you relate to that? Why? Because we live in a meritocracy. And I think that's pretty good, mostly. But if you're not careful, you can be shaped by that worldview, so much so that when those in need come to you, you your response, the response of your heart, of my heart, can be, why are you out here in the first place? What did you do to get yourself here? Why aren't you working a little harder? Why are you looking for a handout? Have you ever felt that? It's a reflection of our hearts. It's been shaped by competition. It's been shaped by a scarcity mindset rather than an abundance mindset. And I can easily feel this more times than I would care to admit to the people that actually just live in my neighborhood. They may not live in the houses I live in, but they live in my neighborhood. I remember just not long ago, a guy was asking me for some money, and I, I went to give it to him, and, and, and he was grateful, and he reached out his hand to shake my hand. And it was so soiled and dirty. I immediately felt the, oh, I don't want to touch him. But I reached out, and I shook his hand, and I looked him in the eyes and said, God bless him. Why? Because In that space, I get to see Jesus. And Jesus calls me to that. 
And one time of doing that doesn't transform my heart. But if I'm training to become like Jesus, if there's a posture to learn from my master how to live as he lived, and through that practice over and over and through continually putting myself in the space of the Holy Spirit, well, he will transform my heart. I can change. And self-denial doesn't become the mode anymore. It becomes who I am to give, to touch. Are you with me right there? You want to grow in your contentment? Really? Then you have to go experience poverty with somebody. You have to go experience the compassion of Jesus. Go sit with them. See how it tastes and how it smells. But if we're not intentional, it just stays in the land of good intentions. It just, it just stays kind of theory. And we don't, we don't change. Rachel and I were talking about it this week, and, and we were just so, you know, you kind of, you get away from it, right? You hear something like this, and you go, man, you're right, i got to get to it. But then you, get, you drift away from it, because we're consumers, and we live in the most materialist world, in the, or materialist country in the world, and all the things, right? And you get away from it, and then you get reminded of it, and you go, man, what am I doing? And my wife, who started about it, she goes, man, I, she just signed our whole family up to go serve here in Austin, to go volunteer time. Do you have a place where you go and you serve? Where you go experience poverty? You say, what do I do? Be a neighbor to those in your city. Others would ask Jesus uh, several times around the same area. They would go, hey, you know, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he would come back with two answers. Now, let me ask you, if someone asked you, what do you need to do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What might you say? You might have some doctrinal agreements, some rites of tradition and passage that they need to make in their relationship with God. But the two times that Jesus is asked, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Listen to how he responds. The first is from a teacher of the law. And Jesus just goes, he tells him the parable of the good Samaritan. And if you don't know the parable, which I think most of us probably do, it's it's this man who's robbed and beaten and left for dead. And these religious people kind of pass by because they don't want to get their lives messy or inconvenienced. And yet here comes this Samaritan who culturally at that time was kind of a half-breed, looked down upon, not really devoted. And he takes the man in and, and he bandages him and he puts him up. He houses him, he shelters him, he cares for him. And Jesus says, that's loving your neighbor. And if you want eternal life, love your neighbor. Another time is a rich young guy. He comes to him and he says, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus just goes, hey, you know what? For you, sell everything you have and give all the money to the poor. Says the guy went away sad, despondent, because he had great wealth and it was going to cost too much. I'm not saying Jesus is asking you to give up everything all your material possessions and give all the money to the poor. I don't think that's the standard that Jesus sets in these scenarios. But he does ask you to give. He does ask you to give up. And maybe you are the individual who for the sake of the kingdom needs to sell everything and give it to the poor. I don't know. I can tell you if you're out to train to become like Jesus, you'll figure it out. 
How have you responded? How would you respond? Okay, second commission. You guys know what's coming. Matthew 28. But it's not different than the first if we're looking at it through the lens of Jesus. Matthew 28. This is the second commission Jesus gives us. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, in his last words to his disciples while on earth, would give them this commission to go. To make disciples. To to teach people how to live as he lives. To teach people how to apprentice under this way of humanity. To teach people how to experience the kingdom of heaven brought a little closer to earth and to bring those people into covenant relationship with the community of God through baptism. And then to walk with them, teach them to obey. And just like he says, hey, I'm there when you serve the poor and the needy and the imprisoned. He says, when you go on this mission, when you obey this command, I am there with you. And it's not a suggestion. Again, it's a command. It's not just for those who are, you know, kind of inclined evangelistically or or just really gregarious and good at networking among us or whoever that is, right? It's, It's not just for the professional Christians, those who are paid to do ministry. It's for all followers of Jesus to be fishers of men, to experience the presence of Jesus going along with them as they do. You know, I would just say in Tribe here in our community, we have the last two years, I think we've been maintaining, we've been managing some. I think we've been trying to get through 2020, 2021, like all of us, right? Um, And in that, that time, our church rhythms have been interrupted plenty of times. We've seen at the same time outside the church just an increase of persecution against Christians. Uh, Barna study just said, you know, I shared this a few weeks ago, Barna study just came out that practicing Christians, those who, who have some sort of regular practice of attending church, it's down to 25% in our country. Um, it's becoming more and more the thing that you would do if you were just kind of stupid and believing in fairy tales and not with it and haven't caught up. And it's associated with all kinds of negative things, you know, to be a Christian. And in many ways, that's not going away. The social capital of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is probably going to continue to decline in our society. But the mission isn't going away. The mission to seek and save the lost is not going away. And I'll just tell you, I don't like rejection. How about you? Like, I don't like being put in a box that I don't want to be associated with. I don't, I don't like being unfairly stereotyped. But at the end of the day, I want to have a life that is experiencing Jesus. I want to have a life that is experiencing the presence of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus. I signed up to be a servant in the kingdom of God, to proclaim the good news of this kingdom to a broken humanity, to a lost world. With all of my homeschooled social awkwardness, 
And if you've fellowshiped with me, you know what I'm talking about. I'm still called to obey the commission of making disciples. With my introverted nature, I'm still called to obey the mission of making disciples and along the way experiencing Jesus. You know, I reached out to my neighbor this week. I invited him to our small group uh, Bible study that we do. And guess what they said? No. And that's okay. I mean, it was a polite no, but it was no. And that's okay. Like, do you know how many times I've been told no in different forms over the last 18 years? Like, I've door knocked, I've cold contact shared, I've, I've walked out, you know, the door around campuses with, with a Bible and just tried to share scriptures with people. I've, I've stood up in classrooms and given persuasive lectures on why people should follow Jesus. I've made friends. I've taken the long, you know, journey with people. I've sat down and studied the Bible with people over weeks and weeks. And some form, in some way, many of them, almost all of them, have said no. But some of them have said yes. And somehow God has used that time and space to help people transform their lives, to become made new, to be restored, over time to be healed and made whole through the holiness of Jesus. And I get to be a part of that. And it's so faith-building and it transforms my heart. It trains me and it shapes me into a different kind of human being. And that's what God's offering you. Last year, our community baptized five people. And we praise God for those five people. They're, they're people who we would not have been with today otherwise. Brothers and sisters. But in a church membership of 120 followers of Jesus, those who are training to become like their teacher are there only five open people that are orbiting our community right now? Like, if we just looked at each individual person and all the people that you individually influence, have in your sphere of influence from your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, the place you went, like your gym or your coffee shop, and then we just added the sum total, it would number thousands of people that this community comes in contact with every week. Are we comfortable saying to God, there were only five open people last year? Or are we in need of repentance to take on the mission, to shake off the desire for comfort and ease and convenience and to take on the mission of making disciples again? And look, I, I just want you to know, I assume the best of you. I really do. I trust that this matters to you. I believe that when you read these scriptures and you think about the grace of God, it moves your heart. But I know just like me, we can all lose sight of the mission. Will you live on the mission? Look, some of you, I just know, you're like, ah, this feels a little too salesy. Like, I just don't, I don't, I'm not into Christian sales. I get it. <laughs> like, I get it. 
When the guys come around my neighborhood to sell whatever they're selling, windows or whatever, I, I hide in my house. Um, and then I feel really conflicted because I'm like, am I lying? Because they're knocking and I'm home. What do I do? And I open the door and I'm just like, how long is this going to take? You know, like they're working through their pitch and I hate being sold to. I, I, I'm a terrible salesman. I, le- I left a sales job after a year and I had like two deals that I closed and my boss was kind of like, you're a nice person. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have, any, he didn't have anything to say about like my sales. He's like, you're a nice person. You're going to do fine, you know? I get it. Like it but are you living an invitational life? Like that said about me, at 20 years old, I accepted an invitation to go to church, not because I was looking for church, because my life was a mess. I was bankrupt spiritually. I was lost. I was drowning in regret and shame and pain that had no resolve. And when someone said, hey, I want to offer you something, the way of Jesus, I took them up on it. They invited me. Are you living an invitational life? One that is is defined by, by being someone who searches for opportunities to win the loss, to invite people in, whether that's to church or a small group or to dinner at your house or a Bible study. Are you living an invitational life? And it's not to become Jesus in this in, like, you're not going to become a first century rabbi in this practice, right? Like, none of us are going to just start wearing, like, full garb and sandals and quit our jobs and just walk around and be supported by others in that way. But you as an individual, as a mother or a father or a business owner or a single or a student, who would Jesus be if he were you? If you were training to be like your master in your place in life, How would he live an invitational life? How would he invite people in? How would he reach across and go, hey, come with me? In 2019, a research study found that for every 3,000 churches planted in the U.S. that year, 4,500 closed their doors. Another study showed a drop in belief among pastors that their churches will survive the pandemic. Only 58% could say, yeah, I think my church will survive the pandemic. We've survived the pandemic, brothers and sisters. Like we, amen, that's good. It's kind of a weak clap, but it's good. (laughs) Like one of the things we do really well here is we do community really well. And if you've been visiting with us, if you've come to any of our, like you get, like we really do community well. I think we do worship pretty well. I think the preaching's okay too, right? Um, But one of the things we need to do better in is the mission, both missions that share one purpose, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. We can do better. How do you begin? You bring some, invite somebody to dinner this week. Invite somebody to your small group. They may say no. They probably will. Invite somebody else or invite them again next week. Invite them to come to church. Invite them to study the Bible. We have a whole res- you, I don't even know what I would do if I studied the Bible with them. We have a whole resource, booklet, just of studies that you can do. They're just foundational things that you can walk through with somebody. Even the questions are written out, like read the scripture and then ask them this. Like, okay, it's really easy. 
Me, my wife, Christian, the floor, you know, Deb, others are here who've been in this practice for a little longer. We're here to help, but have an invitational life. Love your neighbor as yourself. Advocacy is in vogue right now. There's advocacy for climate, for social justice, for animal rights, for identity, all kinds of things, right? And all of them are really clear on their mission. And nothing is stopping them from their mission. How about you, follower of Jesus? Like, you got to wrestle with this a little bit. If you're serious about training to become like Jesus, COVID cannot regulate your mission. COVID-19 cannot be a permission pass whether or not you are on a mission. I'm not saying be unsafe. Please hear me on that. But at some level, you have to wrestle with to whom do I assign authority in my life? Who gives me marching orders? Is it the culture around me and what they say is okay? Is it a virus? Is it fear? Or is it Jesus? And no matter what, the environmental situation that happens to be, I am called to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. I'm called to a mission. So two questions as we close and we get ready for communion. Will you be an advocate for the love of Jesus to the poor? You go, yes, I will. Okay, well, will you find a space to practice that, to train in that, to become like your master in that? Will you be an advocate for the love of Jesus to the spiritually poor? We live in like one of the wealthiest places in the country. Bitcoin capital, right? I mean, you're not doing too good if you're in Bitcoin right now, but many people are. Wealthy, young people are just, you know, getting up and going for a jog this morning all around our city. And we can look at these people and go, man, they just, they got it all. What do they need? They are spiritually poor. Just get to know them a little bit. Find out about the shipwrecks that are happening in their lives. Will you be an advocate for the spiritually poor to bring the love of Jesus? Will you go out into the darkness of night, into the sea of the lost and hurting people and bring them in? Because Jesus lived a life on a mission. And even while being crucified and murdered and hung on a cross in public shame as a criminal, was on a mission. A mission to save you and I. A mission to bring the kingdom of heaven a little closer to earth. 